How healthy are your bones? That's what we're talking about on today's show. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 325, and I have Dr. John Newstadt joining me on the show today to discuss the epidemic of osteoporosis, the weakness of our bones, what we can do about it, and if you haven't been given diagnoses yet, then what you can do to ensure your bones are strong and uh, are osteoporosis-proof or fracture-proof, as he calls it in his new book, which, by the way, you can download for free. Yes, that's right. Uh, He is giving away his book. Uh, You can head to the show notes, lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, click today's show, and you can download Fracture-Proof. It's a brilliant book. I read it before having this interview and it is just so full of practical nuggets, case scenarios, what we can do to build up our bone health and to improve our bone health if we have been given an osteoporosis diagnosis. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, John has a wealth of experience in this space. He takes resident uh, doctors coming up through the ranks uh, through bone health um, metrics, how people can support patients with everything from lifestyle factors to nutraceuticals uh, through to movement and balance exercises and a look at the medications and some of the common medications prescribed that can actually be harmful to bones in the long term, how to mitigate that harm if the person does need to be on that medication or how to actually move them away from that medication beyond it and actually focus more on the root cause in some of the cases that we discuss today. Of course, any recommendation or suggestion that you might hear on a podcast is not medical advice for you. Chat to your doctor if there's something that piques your interest today before you make any changes. Now, this show would not be possible without our incredible sponsors, and I have three wonderful people to talk to you about today very quickly before we hook into our talk on osteoporosis. A reminder that all throughout this year, you have Oz Climate's excellent 10% discount with the code LOWTOXLIFE. This one's just for the Aussies. Uh, for their air purifiers, the Winix air purifiers, and of course, for their dehumidifiers that I can't rave enough about. Now, you don't always need to run a dehumidifier. I got this question just last week, actually. Do you just leave them on all the time? No, that's why I've got a hygrometer. It's a really cheap tool that you can just stick on your fridge. Uh, it's mine is a Thermo Pro, I think is the brand. It was under $20. It's there. It tells me what the indoor air humidity is all day and all week and all year round. And when I see that creep up to 60% or over, that is when I flick on our dehumidifiers. I run them during the day in the rooms. So when we're not in there and sleeping and working, And then I run them in the living room and bathroom overnight uh, so that we keep the humidity below 60%, which prevents and discourages the proliferation of mold. 
If you don't know how many units you need or if you need one of their cool climate desiccant dehumidifiers, give them a buzz or send them an email and have a chat before you make a purchase. 10% off, Lotox Life is your code, ozclimate.com.au is their website. Now, this month, we have a wonderful sponsor. I love Primal Alternative. Uh, Some of you may know that I collaborated and did a variation on my mum's super famous brownie mix from the blog, and we created a brownie mix for Primal Alternative, and I've loved receiving the feedback of how much people are loving them. They're so easy to make. But Primal Alternative, of course, have a whole range of other goodies. And if you're lucky enough to be listening live this week, then you can head over to Instagram and be in for the giveaway. Now, that giveaway is an amazing $250 basket of Primal Alternative goodies. So many good things in there, everything from pizza bases to low-carb breads, hemp granola, uh, my brownie mix. Um, what else is in there? The choc chip cookies that I love, the wraps, which are absolutely delicious and lunchbox friendly, the fruit and nut loaf. Uh, and the triple choc keto biscuits. Oh, and the macadamia currant shortbreads that uh, the gorgeous Joe Witten from Quirky Cooking collaborated with um, Helen Marshall on. So Helen Marshall doesn't just sell these amazing goodies that you can get if you find scratch baking and scratch cooking a bit too tricky to keep up with in your life, but she actually has a network of primalistas, people all over the world who are bakers and help then provide you with these wonderful local goodies. And what I love about that is you are getting something much more local. You're not having to buy gluten-free or grain-free biscuits that get shipped over from another country so that you can have that for a lunchbox if you don't have time. But it's the time-poor people who can now access locally produced and made Primalista uh, products from the Primal Alternative Baker Network. I'll be talking a little bit more about that aspect uh, of the business of being a primal alternative baker over the month. Uh, but you can head to the show notes and see how you can download a Primalista discovery ebook that Helen, the founder of Primal Alternative, has made just for our Lotox community. So head over there and uh, and take a look if that's something interesting to you. It's a really wonderful business if you've got kids who have grown up uh, or, you know, maybe they're off to school now and you've got a bit more time in your day and you are passionate about high quality uh, baked goods for everyday eating and living. It's a, it's a really, really gorgeous business. So all the details are in the show notes, uh, but don't forget to go enter that giveaway if you've never heard of Primal Alternative before and you wouldn't mind winning some goodies and having a taste. Lastly, I wanted to spotlight B corporations, specifically Metagenics. So Metagenics are a supplement company that have had a profound influence on my health over the years. Uh, when I think of doing things like quitting smoking in my 20s, uh, when I think about getting my period back after two years of amenorrhea after quitting the pill, Metagenics is really right up there as one of the key 
impacts of positivity are in the very early stages of me seeing a naturopath and starting to look at uh, the many ways that I could support my health. And I was so overjoyed to see that they had actually done the work to become a B Corp business. Uh, they started in 2019 and with the involvement of 25 staff later and two and a half years later, uh, the entire global metagenics organization is now a certified B Corp. And uh, this can be one of the best ways for low toxers to connect with brands that are doing uh, very good things by people and planet all throughout their procurement, production, logistics, and quality uh, metrics. They're analyzed on a number of different aspects of business function, and you have to be recertified every three years. So it's not something you can chuck a sticker on and then forget about it. You actually have to walk the talk, uh, which is one of my favorite aspects of B Corporation certification. So congratulations to Metagenics on that. If Metagenics is a supplement you know about, then you're probably already either recommending it as a practitioner or chatting to your practitioner about it. If it's not something you've heard of, it is a practitioner-only brand. You can't just head over to the pharmacy or the health food shop and grab it willy-nilly. It is prescription only from your natural healthcare or uh, pr- practitioner. And one of the reasons is, is because it was founded on that bio-individuality principle. Uh, What makes us unique? Our genes. And then, of course, as we now know, uh, so much more than when the company was founded in 1983, the different aspects of our lifestyle and environment that can impact those genes through epigenetics. So it's a really brilliant, high-quality brand uh, and I would definitely recommend having a chat about it if you're looking to support your health in a certain way right now. Okay, folks, that's me rambled and done. Thank you to all the wonderful brands who help us put on this show. And thank you to the wonderful John Newstat for being so generous in providing his book for free for you guys on uh, fracture-proofing our bones. And I know there are a number of people who uh, have osteoporosis in our community who really are working on this very hard. And I know today's show is going to be such a boon for you listening as well. Please pass it on to friends and family. Uh, As we get older, the risks get higher and the ramifications of things like falls and fractures become so much more impactful on our later stages of life. So I think this is really about growing our vocab on what it takes to maintain healthy bones, what it takes to get healthy bones, and what it takes to reverse Uh, a diagnosis like osteoporosis and really work towards regaining our health from the inside out, literally. Enjoy the show. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Can you start by talking us through what you have found to be an epidemic that's simply not being talked about? I think people will find shocking exactly what what I found shocking as I was doing the research and learning more about this, this condition. And that is globally, somebody with osteoporosis breaks a bone every 30 seconds. And and if you're a woman 45 years or older, your risk of breaking a bone from osteoporosis is greater than your combined risk of breast, uterine, 
and ovarian cancer. And, and in fact, osteoporotic fractures create more days or cause more days in the hospital than other diseases like heart attacks, diabetes, and breast cancer. And as we get older, it becomes even more dangerous. Like, unfortunately, it sounds like happened with your grandmother. Women who are 65 years or older who break a hip with osteoporosis, for them, there's up to a 36% chance that they're going to be dead within a year. And wow. of those who survive, over half never regain their full level of pre-fracture mobility and the pain-free lifestyle that they enjoyed. So it's a real wake-up call, hopefully, for people. There's a lot that people can do. Um, I know that we're going to talk about uh, on today's interview, but it is a dangerous condition. It is something often people don't think about, and I'm hoping that the work that I'm doing will will help raise awareness with for that and help teach people what they can do proactively to maintain strong bones and support healthy bone density long into their later years. Mm. And I think it's just shocking to think about the fact that right now in hospital, there are more people there due to osteoporosis than heart attacks and strokes. You just wouldn't think that. I mean, if you think about what we're told about what the big health dramas are, you, I mean, osteoporosis never even makes it into the conversation. So, so to be clear, I don't, I don't believe there are more people in the hospitals for those conditions. It's, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but I want to make sure that, that okay. I'm not yep. misrepresenting the of statistic. Course. Osteoporosis for women causes more days in the hospital than these other conditions. Got it. But from an entire population perspective, it's not the number one cause, I don't believe, of hospitalization overall. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up because I was like, oh my gosh. So it's still bad, but not quite as bad Very as bad. I understood it to be. Okay. Something I want to ask, you mentioned bone density already, uh, and this seems to be the first thing that gets tested. You're of a certain age. Okay, let's check out your bone density. Um, is this the most accurate predictor that we have of bone breakage and fracture? In, in terms of testing, it probably is. There isn't a great test. It's, it is the gold standard. It is what all other tests are measured against. And that's partly due to the historical uh, fact that it was the first test that was run that, that, um, that was understood or, or that discovered that low bone density was creating increased risk of fractures and, and weaker bones. It dates back all the way to the 1940s. There was a physician at Massachusetts General Hospital in the, in the United States who noticed that women, as they got older and they went through menopause, they seemed to be at increased risk for, for fractures. And so he took pigeons and he, he took the ovaries out of the pigeons. Our ovaries produce our estrogen. So he basically put the pigeons into menopause. And he noticed with a X-ray, a dual X-ray, dual absorp absorb geometry X-ray test, or the DEXA test, that the bone density decreased, a condition he called too little bone in bone. And then 50 years later in the 1990s, 
the World Health Organization took that data, took that information and more data that had been, you know, that had been created and developed since that time based on the bone density test and said, this will be the diagnostic criteria. Bone density test is required to diagnose osteoporosis. But in terms of predicting fractures, we've known also since the 1990s that a bone density test predicts less than half of people with osteoporosis who will break a bone. In fact, in 2008, a study came out that showed that women with osteoporosis, a bone density test only predicts 20, um, 44% of them who will break a bone and only 21% of men. And many medical organizations have come out over the decades looking at all the data of what is predictive for fractures and fracture risk depends largely on factors other than bone density. It's one piece of the puzzle. It's important, but unfortunately, clinically and in too many people's minds, both the general public and, and physicians, it is the only thing or they treat that nearly exclusively or to the exclusion of everything else, that number on the test. And that is not the most predictive uh, aspect of, uh, for fractures. Mm. Now, I want to ask you what is, but I also want to dive in a little deeper to the fact that women are more prone uh, and you mentioned the estrogen and menopause, um, but so the, it, as the estrogen goes down, our risk goes up, correct? Correct. What happens is as estrogen goes down, the, the the rate of bone loss increases. So around menopause and for the 10 years after is the fastest rate of bone loss in women. Mm -hmm. And so men don't have high levels of estrogen. Well, let's hope not because that wouldn't be very healthy. Um, so why is this not a problem for men given there's no, well, little estrogen there compared to women? You would think therefore estrogen was a factor, but it's more about so testosterone the change is also in biology, anabolic. maybe. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so mm. testosterone also helps to build bone and maintain bone strength. Men have more testosterone, and don't typically, you know, you don't get the drop off of testosterone like you do with women in estrogen. So I, I believe that that's kind of the best explanation of why that why there's that difference. Thank you for uh, unpacking that. And so let's then talk about some of the other ways we can. Uh, measure, predict, and prevent risk uh, in a more holistic picture that goes beyond bone density testing? Great question. I love this question. The number, the most consistent variable when it comes to predicting fractures is somebody's gait or their mobility. 95% of fractures occur because somebody's fall, if somebody falls. So anything we can do to prevent falls is going to prevent fall-related injuries, including fractures. So when I work with patients, the moment I see them and start and greet them, the clinical encounter has started. I begin evaluating immediately. And, and I've always, when a patient, and we're going back, if I'm going back to a, a, an exam room with them, I always have them walk in front of me because I am evaluating their gait. I'm evaluating their balance. I'm evaluating, evaluating the speed of their, their walking. And, and so, and the, how they, you know, navigate a turn, you know, turning into a room, all of those are clues as to how steady somebody is uh, on their feet. So that is the, the number one predictor gait or mobility in terms of, of fractures. 
But there are many other risk factors for osteoporosis and fractures that are important to know about. One of the most common that is a hidden cause that most people, not even most clinicians understand well, are medications that damage bone and medications then that cause osteoporosis and cause fractures. Two of the most common globally, well, let me just say, the, one of the most common globally is well-known, and that is steroids, prednisone, corticosteroids. That's well-known by, by clinicians everywhere that I've, I've been and spoken with doctors. Two very common drugs that are not well-known are antidepressants, specifically those that artificially increase serotonin. So that would be your selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and your selective serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors like Prozac, duloxetine, Cymbalta, those, those types of medications and acid blocking medications. Those two categories of medications uh, do a tremendous uh, job at damaging bones and increasing fracture risk. We, there are studies that have come out that we now know for every person who is on, every woman specifically on an antidepressant, for every 19 women who are on them, we will expect one of them to break a bone. Now, the, 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 the studies go from, you know, nine to every, you know, one fracture for every 19 women. And there's another study that determined one fracture for every 49 women. The bottom line is it's not a good situation. And in addition to that, it's the same story with that medication as it is with all medications, the higher the dose and the longer somebody is on it, the greater their risk, but fracture risk with antidepressants increases, even people are on them for less than a year. And many people are on there for first four, five, seven, you know, long-term many, many years. Similarly with the acid blocking medications, the proton pump inhibitors, those medications can increase fracture risk by up to 60% hip fracture risk, which is the most dangerous type of fracture by up to 60% after four years of taking it. Uh, estrogen blockers, not surprising because we know blocking estrogen, decreasing estrogen also causes osteoporosis and fractures. Women who are being treated with anastrozole, those types of medications that block estrogen production also at a large risk uh, for osteoporosis and fractures. So these are important things to understand. And so people can talk to their doctors about, see, can they reduce the dose of the medication or maybe switch to an, another medication altogether, or maybe they don't need the medication anymore. Again, speaking with your physician, finding out what the, what the options might be. Mm, and we know there are so many productive options to get off the PPIs uh, proton pump inhibitors. Uh, I, I remember taking my mum to the naturopath when I found out she was on one long-term and indefinitely. I was like, um, let's go chat to Christine. And uh, Christine helped her get off them. Within three months, she was completely fine, no heartburn, no reflux, a couple of herbs and uh, and a bit of a change of diet, you know. And I just think a lot of people don't realise there are other options out there. We're in a bit of a bubble of holistic health where we have conventional medicine, love it, amazing for SOS, uh, but also have these other modalities and ways of working to heal the body from within uh, that are largely still un undervalued and unknown in the general population. Uh, and so you mentioned uh, antidepressants um, and uh, also the steroids. 
What are some of the ways that you've seen people get off those medications? And and I really appreciate that you've said talk to your doctor, but I I've no doubt that you've actually helped people um, find ways forward uh, with either, as you say, smaller doses or none at all. Uh, can you share a little bit on that as well? Yes, and I, I just want to mention first because you talked about. Uh, naturopath and naturopathic medicine and integrative medicine within the world of osteoporosis. I think the argument is strong to encourage people to, to find practitioners who are integrative practitioners, who are knowledgeable in integrative ways of approaching this because research has come out and shown that most physicians, these were all medical doctors that in the study came out of Europe recently that they are confused about how to, how to treat osteoporosis and because of time pressures, because of the way that they're, they're reimbursed and the way that they're paid, they have to see a high volume of patients during a day. They don't have the time to have the more subtle in-depth conversations that are required to talk about dietary changes and exercise and lifestyle changes, more holistic approaches, nor do they have, do they learn that in school as part of their primary education? So they, they, and it's no fault of their own. They're all very well-intentioned and well-meaning, but they, that profession, medical doctors, they have their limitations just like all professions do. And within the world of osteoporosis or within that, that situation, it's important to find somebody and seek out the resources to be able to ask the right questions of, of your doctor. And that's what I talk a lot about in my book is which questions to ask to make sure you're getting the right care and how to create a holistic plan for yourself. In terms of holistically looking then at some of these other conditions that people then take medications for like depression, there's so much that can be done. And yes, I've gotten people off their antidepressant medications or been able to, to decrease them. But the bottom line is unlike the conventional approach where it's, here's your symptom, here's your pill. It is, let's look at the person in front of us. Let's, let's evaluate the entire person. When you're looking at situations like osteoporosis or, or depression, there are multiple and multiple variables that have to do with lifestyle that have to do with sleep. If you aren't getting enough sleep, it causes depression. If you aren't getting enough sleep, it causes more rapid bone loss and increases your risk for osteoporosis. Exercise increases mood. Similarly, not exercising can decrease mood and it also increases your risk for osteoporosis and fractures. A chronic, right? So, so this, the, all these chronic conditions are, are, are linked. You know, similarly with cardiovascular disease, if you're not getting enough sleep, it increases your risk, risk for heart disease. With respect to depression, there are nutritional deficiencies that have been associated with depression and decreased mood. Some of those nutritional deficiencies have also been associated with increased osteoporosis risk. So if you're not eating a plant forward diet, if you're eating at least here in the US, what's the standard American diet, you're at risk, greater risk for nutritional deficiencies. It's high in packaged food. It's high in processed food. It's low in fruits and vegetables. In fact, in the US, we know that about half of the general public don't consume enough magnesium every day. And that is magnesium is one of the nutrients that is used to produce 
serotonin, which helps to elevate mood. Magnesium is also important for helping to regulate calcium. So these things, again, they're interrelated. There is a field of testing or a field of medicine called functional medicine. And, and, and understand are people deficient in certain, certain nutrients and do a very customized approach. And I've found that to be very helpful instead of just, you know, I, I call it cooking without a recipe. <laughs> what might be very helpful for people, and I found this to be very help, helpful for me in my own clinical work, is functional testing or finding a functional medicine doctor who's trained to do this type of evaluation. And we can get urine and stool samples and we can test for nutrients, uh, amino acids, vitamins, minerals. Th those are the raw materials that our body uses to, to function and to work properly and to help us feel as great as we can be. And look at individual components of those biochemical pathways and see, you know, are you low in specific nutrients? Are you low in magnesium? Are you low in B vitamins? Are you low in zinc or copper? Are you low in tryptophan, which is required to produce serotonin or phenylalanine, another amino acid that's required to produce not just thyroid hormone, but also dopamine, another feel-good hormone, a mood-elevating hormone. Two simple things that unfortunately are often overlooked, even by conventional doctors, but are well-documented to cause osteoporosis is low thyroid, hypothyroidism. So definitely have your thyroid tested and low iron. Now, low iron is well is understood to, to create depression and shortness of breath and brain fog. You know, iron is used for hundreds of things in the body, like any nutrient. So deficiency of iron or any one nutrient typically can cause many different symptoms. With iron, the screening test often is just a complete blood count. That looks for the, that looks for the amount of iron in red blood cells. But red blood cells live for about 90 days. And so if your red blood cells are dropping, or the amount of uh, hemoglobin in those red blood cells, which indi could indicate the amount of oxygen it can carry. If that's dropping, that's a relatively late manifestation. You have to get really low in iron for that to begin to show up. There's a storage form of iron. There our body, the, the analogy I like and that my physiology professor taught us in my class was about a reservoir. It's called the reservoir model. So reservoir store, stores water. Our body stores different nutrients. And there's a reservoir. There's a certain amount of iron our body stores as ferritin. Ferritin then becomes the most sensitive indicator for iron status. And that's what needs to be tested, a serum ferritin test. Unfortunately, the reference range typically for ferritin is so large as to be clinically irrelevant. I've seen as low as all the way down to 10 and above 200. Yeah, I like a big window. I was eight. actually just looking at that before. And so what is optimal? Because that's often very different to normal, right? Absolutely. Optimal is about 90 to 110, especially if somebody is symptomatic, 
uh, with decreased energy, decreased mood, uh, and their ferritin is, you know, 30, 20, 40, giving them supplemental iron to increase that ferritin, the research, research has shown to be, to be quite helpful. Mm-hmm. Huge. And, and so in terms of osteoporosis, we really want to hone in on looking at iron, magnesium, um, People talk about calcium. We get shown ads with pictures of kids drinking milk all the time and strong bones, this and that. Um, Please, can you share um, why calcium is not the only thing we should be looking at when it comes to strong bones and and perhaps um, how we can just put it in the mix as opposed to having it be some kind of false hero out there? I love that false hero. I love that. I've never heard that before. That's a great, great concept. (laughs) So bone is a tissue and like all tissues, there are multiple types of cells and there are multiple components. So the mineral components of bone is what gives bone its hardness. And the minerals are calcium and magnesium and other minerals in, in bone. But there's another component of bone that actually provide some flexibility to the bone. That's the collagen in bone. Collagen in bone is primarily what's called type one collagen. And when you have healthy collagen, your bones aren't as brittle. They're stronger. In fact, what in the research, if you start looking at the different components of bone and how they contribute to overall bone health, the mineral component gives the quantity, gives quantity to bone but it's the collagen and the extra the proteins in bone that give bone its ultimate quality. And that's why a bone density test is not very sensitive at predicting fractures because it's only looking at the minerals. It only detect, detects the quantity of bone, but the collagen, healthy collagen, what happens if somebody, if you fall and your collagen is healthy, it's, it's elastic. So that force when you hit the ground can be dispersed over a larger volume of bone. And that bone actually deforms a little bit, right? And it can absorb that input then without being brittle. If you were to dissolve all the collagen in bone, you're left with what is essentially like a column of chalk. It's brittle. But if you take all the minerals out of bone, you're left with just the collagen. It's, and it becomes like a rubber chicken bone. If you've ever seen that. In fact, I have some, uh, right. I've, I demineralize some I've got here, right, right here next to me. I'd have to grab it if you want to see it, but oh, literally, I want to see you it. Yes, bend... please. all right, hold on just a sec. Hold on. Yeah. Sec. Yeah. So here, here's my little container. So I soaked this in, in vinegar for, for a week. Right. So I've got these chicken bones in here and it's taken the minerals out. Right. So this is, this is a bone right? Look at this. Wow. You can twist it, right? You can turn it. You can pull it. It doesn't break. Mm-hmm. It doesn't break. And that's the power of healthy collagen, which is why when it comes to uh, supplementing, when it comes to diet, it's really important that people consume enough protein in their diet. And unfortunately, many people aren't getting enough protein, but I also am a proponent of supplementing with, with collagen because the clinical trials on collagen show that it supports bone health and joint health and skin and nails. It's used throughout the body. And it also decreases the laboratory marker 
that is associated with the breakdown of collagen. So it slows that breakdown of, bo of bone collagen as well uh, to help people with healthy collagen. But looking at the overall lifestyle component and a holistic component where, that we touched on before, it's not just diet, which is important, but stress. People who are under chronic stress, they act, their amount of collagen that they can produce goes down and the collagen that they have is, is more brittle. It's not as healthy. So making sure you've got good stress management, all these pieces fit together in the puzzle. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not that stress is bad. It's just that we're becoming more and more inflexible in stress. It, we're not returning to a, a homeostatic, kind of relaxed, parasympathetic uh, default. It, we're just the, staying It's up the there. chronic stress. Yeah. yeah it's the yeah. chronic stress. Stress is a good adaptive, you know, physio physiological aspect of our health that, that can be very helpful. It's good to have some stress, but unfortunately people are living uh, in a, a life that is too much stress too often. Yeah, that's it. And you mentioned movement and obviously that being a huge part of uh, mobility, balance, uh, and then, of course, reducing our risk of, of fracture. Uh, what are some of your favorite ways to get people moving? Uh, I mean, obviously the walk, if we're going from a very low base where we're not doing much at all, getting walking is good, but are there some specific nerdy things we can do like balance exercises and, and things like that, uh, that statistically show that people who move that way seem to get less breakage. So there is an association with exercise and improved bone density and reduced fracture risk. The challenge when it comes to exercises is, is it's almost impossible to design a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. You would need over 7,000 participants. It just, it hasn't been done. There are types of exercises that, that can be helpful. I'm thrilled that you've talked about walking because walking is associated with a decrease in all-cause mortality. That's death from any cause, which includes osteoporosis, heart disease, diabetes, just any cause, cancer. There's a seems to be a misunderstanding and a myth that circulates out there on the internet. That you've got to walk 10,000 steps a day. Fortunately, researchers looked at this and multiple studies have now shown that that's actually not true in terms of reductions in all-cause mortality. You only have to walk an average of about 7,000 to 7,500 steps a day to get a 30 to 50% decrease in all-cause mortality, which is incredible. Incredible. That's incredible. I mean, and it's so pleasant. That's the thing. You get out there. If you're feeling hard, you know, if it feels hard to get going, put some of your favorite music in your ears, get a nice podcast to be inspired by. If you're into true crime, like do that, uh, whatever. But I just think once you're out there and you're in nature, local park, local forest, local beach, uh, it's, uh, it's no surprise that it has such a huge impact on health because so does being out in nature. So does grounding. So does fresh air. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a multiple level win to get out there and go for a walk. It, it is. And it's something that anybody can do and it doesn't take special equipment. And that's what I like to tell people. You don't have to go into a gym. 
so often people think they've got to go pump iron in a gym. No, there are simple things you can do. In my book, I talk about and a blog on my website, I teach people how to do the stork exercise, which is simply standing on one foot while you brush your teeth. Hopefully you're brushing your teeth twice a day for two minutes a day, which is what dentists recommend. And you stand on one foot for the first minute, maybe the bottom teeth, if you need to balance a little bit by touching the, the counter, you can. And then when you switch to the, the top teeth, you, you switch legs and you balance on the opposite leg and just do that twice a day, anything. So it, the thing with exercise is it doesn't have to be a huge chunk of time. It can be worked into your daily routine. Take the stairs instead of an elevator or escalator, park further away in the parking lot to, to walk a little bit uh, farther. If you're at home and you're, you're doing dishes or you've got a little bit of, of you're putting dishes away where you could, you could actually step back a little bit and, you know, stretch a little bit farther when you're putting the glass away to just kind of maybe stretch your, your lats a little bit and improve your balance a little bit, or you've got a chair there. You can do some, some dips on the chair, do 10 dips on the arm dips on the chair for some tricep workout. You can do squats in your own home. There's lots that you can do. And of course there are wonderful exercises and groups that people can participate in Pilates, gentle yoga when done appropriately they can be very helpful. And it's important though to work with somebody who has knowledge and works with people with osteoporosis because if done inappropriately, different exercises may actually increase your risk. For yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I play tennis and I can't imagine that it would be great to just head out there on court and start running all over the place laterally. If you had a huge osteoporosis risk, that would not be a great idea. I want to talk about... Uh, what our bones need a little bit more. Collagen, brilliant. Um, is there a particular form of collagen? Because there are a bazillion collagen products on the market, which then confuses people even more. Uh, dietary collagen, obviously through grass-fed meats, um, would be great too to put in the mix. Um, but I've noticed there there seem to be three different types of collagen and some products hero various types. Some are a complex of all three. So the, there, there are dozens, there's over a dozen different types of collagen in the, well, in there we the go. body. Not 90% of, of type one collagen is in the bones. That's a predominant type of collagen in the bone. So I advocate and I'm a fan of let's give what the body is using in the bones if we're targeting bone health. So I'm a fan of type one collagen. It's can't really find type one, or I've never seen it by itself. Uh, it comes from animals. Uh, I developed a product that's a combination of type one and three collagen that uses a uh, double the amount that was of the collagen used in clinical trials. And it, and it gives type one and type three collagen. So uh, there isn't in terms of fractures, there are no clinical trials with fractures as the endpoint with, with collagen. So I'll just with that caveat in mind, but it is an important component of bone health. And I do think if people are doing everything they can, they're looking for supplementation. Collagen is one. It's not my top recommendation. It's not my top line recommendation. I would say be second, but it is, it is definitely up there. Mm -hmm. And some of the others. So I, this is how I think, and I interpret the, the, the research out that's out there. I'm always asking the question has whatever is being recommended, whether it's a supplement, whether it's a medication, has it been shown to reduce fractures in clinical trials? There are only four nutrients that have been shown to reduce fractures in, clini in clinical trials. 
calcium and vitamin D, a specific form of vitamin K2 called MK4 and strontium. Right? Like I mentioned before, collagen has been shown to change a laboratory marker associated with osteoporosis, but it's never been shown to reduce fractures. But just given what we know about the physiology of bone, I think supplementing with collagen and how collagen is needed throughout the body is a good thing to do for, for many people. But if I'm just targeting what is the first line recommendations based on the research, it's that calcium, vitamin D, and MK4. I'm not a fan of strontium because it produces false bone density test results. And the MK4 has been shown to stop and uh, promote, I should say, to promote healthy bone density and also to maintain strong bones as indicated by more than 70% fewer fractures in clinical trials. And that's really the bottom line. You know, is it maintaining the strong, strong bones? Uh, so that's my first line. And that's what I actually ended up creating uh, for out of my, my clinic because I couldn't find what I needed uh, years ago, didn't exist in a product. So I ended up having to, to create it so I could help people. Mm. And some people worry about uh, K2. They think about coagulation of blood and, uh, and, and see it as something bad. Uh, but can you talk us through how in the tiny amounts that it's available in supplementation, that's actually not the case? How does it work? So the, there's a misconception with vitamin K and vitamin K toxicity or whether it will increase the risk for blood clots. So vitamin K is used for uh, blood clotting by the body. And the assumption is, is that if a little bit of vitamin K is used for blood clotting, well, if I use more, then I'm going to push that blood clotting too far and I'm going to create dangerous blood clots. And that's absolutely not how the body works. That's not how the biochemistry works. What happens is once the body has enough vitamin K for blood clotting, it can't clot any faster. It's like a conveyor belt. that's already going at full speed. And the vitamin K just goes off and does other things in the body. As I mentioned before, nutrients have multiple actions in the body and vitamin K is no different. Now you mentioned low doses used in dietary supplements. Well, actually we use high doses when it comes to the clinical trials for bone health. In the clinical trials with MK4, we're using 45 milligrams per day. And typically, which is thousand times more than is typically found in dietary supplements. There's another form of vitamin K2 called MK7 found in dietary supplements that is used in the microgram doses, much smaller doses. That form, however, has never been shown in any clinical trials to maintain strong bones by looking at fractures as the endpoint in the studies. Only they've only looked at bone density as the primary endpoint, which is why for me, MK4, because it's been approved since 1995 by the Ministry of Health in Japan for bone health, there are over 7,000 people that have been um, in clinical trials with MK4, 45 milligrams per day and higher. And there are safety studies on animals and humans, and it's shown to be safe. The only known contraindication is if somebody is taking the anticoagulant medication Coumadin, or what's also called warfarin, because that works by blocking the action of vitamin K. And so if we give 
vitamin K, it, it counteracts that medication, which we don't want to do. So vitamin K is very safe. It does not increase um, the risk for blood clotting in people with normal blood clotting. And the, uh, the amount of research that's out there on that nutrient and the health benefits, it's just overwhelmingly positive. Mm, thank you. Thanks so much for clearing that up because it's just like a lot of people freak out about it, but you, you see that D and K are often supplemented together. And there's of course a very good reason for that, right? Well, it's a theoretical reason. So the, first of all, when you ever see the D and K together, the form of K they're using is MK7. Uh, to date, there's no MK4 uh, in the in the clinical dose, 45 milligrams per day with vitamin D, it's MK7. So again, the superior form when it comes to bone health is the MK4 form out there. The only combination product on the market, calcium, vitamin D, and MK4, 45 milligrams a day are my products. Uh, globally, I believe, I've never seen them anywhere else. Uh, it's They're called OsteoK and OsteoK minis. And there is some synergistic benefit with D and K and calcium. Uh, but in general, the clinic, there have been clinical trials with MK4 by itself. And there have been clinical trials with MK4 with calcium and vitamin D and all have been positive. Oh, fantastic. I'll put those in the show notes for people who are interested in uh, checking that out. It's great to know you've created something for that. Um, I want to ask about when you go to your doctor and you're seeing your doctor for osteoporosis and they don't have all the knowledge that we've been talking about today, what is the best way to uh, bring up your concerns, bring up some of the things you want to bring into your treatment plan? Uh, is it good to turn up with studies? Uh, because a lot of people find that part hard when they uh, are seeing a health professional who only has one course of action. Uh, and actually, I want to ask you about the osteoporosis conventional treatments as well and your views on those. But it's it's a tough dynamic sometimes uh, that I feel people just need a bit more vocab on how to have that conversation about wanting to do things in a more holistic way. That's a great point. And it's something that I've taken, I've meticulously addressed in my book because in the chapters, there are sections in the book that walk people through uh, with questions to ask their doctor, specifically when it comes to the medication, like how to evaluate, and is this medication the right one for me? So there are questions to ask the doctor that most people don't know to ask. And similarly, there, there, are, there are things to look at in their home to make sure they're fracture proofing their home, which reduce the risk for accidents and fractures at home uh, and other areas of this holistic approach in terms of how to ask for help, the right questions to ask to make sure, you know, so you can make the best possible decision for your own health. I think that it's important that to understand that most doctors who are out there are, as I mentioned before, very well-intentioned, very nice people. They're, they're doing the best work that they can do. They don't necessarily have all the information. And that if you are not happy with the responses you're, you're getting, and, and I say this 
specifically thinking about if the doctor is hostile to you just asking questions, because I've, I've had that experience. Patients have come back and I said, I've just wanted to ask my doctor questions and they, they seemed irritated. They, they just, they told me I had to do what they, they were telling me to do, uh, or they were going to fire me. I mean, literally these, this is what <laughs> has been reported to me that it is a service industry. And I truly believe if you don't like the service you're getting, it is your right to go find somebody who will give you that better service. Switch doctors who's a little more open, not necessarily, they may not endorse looking at integrative ways, but but hopefully they're open to just your questions and taking a few minutes to help you understand so you can make better uh, decisions. All doctors are taught the concept of informed consent. It's our duty to provide the information to patients so that they can make the best choice for themselves. And it's your right to be able to ask those questions and make sure that you're getting enough information. And so in my book, I give patients questions that they can speak to their doctors about so that they can gather that information and create a holistic plan, knowing full well that most clinicians aren't um, aren't able to create these holistic plans and manage patients on them. And so I'm providing that framework within the book of how people can create their own plan while communicating and working with their doctors. I love that. And it empowers people to feel like they can have one foot in each camp and and feel empowered to be making their own decisions as well. And I love that you said uh, that medicine is a service-based industry. I am such a believer in that. And I think if you don't feel like you are on a team instead of having a mean boss, uh, it needs to be a team dynamic for for health to prosper. Uh, no one feels good if they're feeling stressed going to see their health professional. That's just adding to the problem. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to do a last question here on a bit of a desert island osteoporosis top two, uh, which is to say if you had to choose two things that we could really focus on and make sure we're doing every day uh, for good, healthy, strong bones, whether we have osteoporosis or not right now, uh, what would they be? What floats to the absolute top for you? Maximizing and optimizing your diet Mm -hmm. and exercise. Those are the two top things for me. Yeah. Without a doubt. Mm. Brilliant. Simple. Uh, And you mentioned plant forward earlier when we were talking, but collagen also obviously came up. And I often ask doctors to drill down on plant forward. And for me, it seems that the universal uh, hope is that we replace the ultra processed foods in our diets with fruits and vegetables. So and, and then so there's still meat in the picture for most doctors uh, in healthy amounts, but it's really just about ditching those packaged ultra processed foods that are driving disease, and replacing them with vibrant, colorful fruits and vegetables. I would agree, and in, in in my book, I walk people through the process of evaluating their diet and how to transition into this healthy way of eating, and I have people focus on only two things, fiber and protein, because it's the whole foods that that fiber is in 
And so getting enough of those whole foods a day are going to give the raw materials in terms of vitamins, minerals, nitrates, other plant nutrients the body needs to, to function. It's going to feed that healthy gut bacteria for the gut microbiome health. And the protein is going to give enough of those raw materials for our biochemistry, enzymes, muscle, bone to function and to create the, the protein-based hormones that we also need to function. So I like making, taking things and, and creating simple systems out of them that people can then learn how to eat this way intuitively. It's not, you know, never eat ice cream again or never eat chips again, but it's really about emphasizing the positive way of, of eating and just minimizing, like you said, those other foods that, that we know are, are really should only be sometime foods, not all the time foods. Yeah, I have this saying in my talks, uh, and classes, which is we do what we do most of the time so we can go with the flow some of the time. So it's not about depriving the kids from the ice cream at the summertime when they're with their friends, uh, but it is about bookending the day with really good meals at home, home cooked largely uh, with plenty of variety. And, um, and that is going to move us forward a whole way. So I want to say thank you for joining me, John. It was really great to dive into this topic. Uh, I am going to be brushing my teeth in a different way from now on with that balance exercise. I love, love, love that. Uh, and I really appreciate the work you're doing to help us have strong, healthy bones and also to help the osteoporosis community have better outcomes. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share, share what I've learned. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.